The following podcast is created and sponsored by High Beam Ministry. Hey, Frank. Yeah? I got a secret. Really? I didn't think we had secrets between brothers. Well, we don't, but this is a good one. Really? Tell me what it is. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. Listen to the Truth Priest every week. No. Are you kidding? What's the Truth Priest now? Well, it, it is where everything gets explained. I mean, you name it, they explain it. Here, let me give you my phone and I'll open it here. Okay, here it is. Mmm, donuts. Oh, no, that's not it. Okay, okay, I got it. Here, here it is. Welcome to the Airzats Coffee Shop. This is Jay, your truth barista, and I'm serving up a steamy cup of God's truth for the average Joe. You can catch me and this podcast on my websites, truthbarista.com, all one word, truthbarista.com, and highbeamministry.com. That's H-I-G-H-B-E-A-M ministry.com, as in car high beam. We're shining the light of God's truth on the road ahead. The Watchers, the Nephilim, or the Shining Ones, whichever name you prefer, must be the most mysterious group to ever present itself on this planet. Who or what this group is, is hotly debated. There's some sort of tangible elements to them. There's some sort of a supernatural element to them. There is undoubtedly some historical element to them, as this puzzling group appears all around the world, affecting nearly every ancient culture. Their names may change, their descriptions are ethnic and topographic, but the attributes of the Nephilim are always possessing the same qualities. In some case, they're almost identical. The only thing we can say for sure is the Watchers have seriously affected all of mankind deep in the ancient past. Giants, twice the size of gorillas, were found in Java. The petrified remains of a giant were found in South Africa. A well-known anthropologist declared that these remains showed that these man's ancestors must have been giants. Amazing Larry, come on over. You want to ready for our uh, continuation of last well, week's study am, on the Nephilim? Oh my goodness. All week I have just been just contemplating what you're saying and I go from one side of saying, "Well, wow, that's really interesting truth Rista, to the other side of me that says, ah, "It's all symbolism. It's all sort of make-believe kind of things." But I don't know. I just don't know where I'm at right now. So we're going to talk about it in specifics again today, correct? Right. And I'm going to show you where this actually goes through the Bible and why it's important to us as Christians. Now, one of the things that we have to do with the scripture is determine what is figurative and what is literal. The problem is, if your theology doesn't allow you supernatural things to happen, and you've got more of a naturalistic view, then you're going to look at things that are literal and say, oh, it's figurative. On the other hand, if you want to be purely supernatural and not reasonable about certain things, you're going to say, oh, that which is figurative is literal. No, we need to say, what does the Bible say? So let's start with that. Okay. Okay. Now, last week, we talked about Genesis 6. And Genesis 6, in a nutshell, is there were a group of beings, supernatural beings, called sons of God, who descended from heaven, according to Enoch, to the Mount 
of Hermon, which is in the north of Israel. From that point, they launched a campaign to interact with humanity where they took human women to be their wives and produced this offspring called Nephilim. According to the Bible, they were mighty men and mighty warriors and men of renown. Well, Enoch doesn't whitewash it that much. Enoch says these were horrible beings. They were giants. They were cannibalistics. They were vicious. Actually, according to Enoch, it's says people would bring them food so they wouldn't eat the people. And when they ran out of food, they started going after animals and fish and birds and even people themselves. And they even turned on themselves for food. Now, you got to think if these are superhuman, super tall people, that's a lot of food to keep that body going, you know? Well, that's why some people think that's all symbolism for a demon or fallen angels rather than these superhuman, semi-spiritual, semi-human. Right. Well, let's talk about that because you're kind of on track with something. What happened to the Nephilim in the flood? Well, because they are a combination, a hybrid of both a human being and a spiritual being, they would have a spiritual component and a human component. The human component would die, releasing the spiritual component. My question is, we are spirit and we are flesh as well. But you're saying that these were much more a hybrid of that, right? Right. Because we have a spirit that doesn't die. Right. And so you're saying these Nephilim were spiritually superior in all ways to humans. Spiritually and physically. Yes. According to, uh, according to the text they were and according to some of the background context they were. Now listen to this. This is what Enoch says. Enoch in his book is actually taken up by God right into God's presence. And, and God says to Enoch, now you bring these watchers that did this a message. And this is the message that Enoch brought to them. Your toast. He says, I'm going to take all of you watchers and I'm going to bind you in chains and put you in the earth until judgment day. Now, this is what I'm going to do to your children, the Nephilim. I'm going to kill them all because they're rotten. It's not according to my creation. You have perverted my creation, and now you have spawned and released this evil upon the planet, and I've got to get rid of it and start fresh. So... That reminds me of, I think it's Peter that talks about these spirits being chained until Judgment Day, that they're not released to the earth like, you know, most demons are, right? I mean, they have a free reign on earth, but these are not. So are those the Watchers? Those are the Watchers. In fact, you're quoting Enoch or referring to Enoch as Jude 6 and 2 Peter quotes him. Listen to what Jude says. Now, he's talking about judgment on apostates, and Jude is basically saying, if God judged the angels for perverting things, do you think he's going to leave the apostates and people who are perverting things alone? No, they're all coming under judgment. This is what he said. Verse 5, now I want to remind you, although you came to know all these things once and for all, that Jesus saved a people out of Egypt and later destroyed those who did not believe, verse 6, and the angels who did not keep their own position, but abandoned their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains in deep darkness for the judgment on the great day. That leaving their household, meaning they have left their enclosure. In a sense, they have stripped themselves of their spiritual aspect. And one way of interpreting it is they have taken on a human form in order to interact with women. He said they crossed the line. And that's where God is judging them. In Second Peter, he says the same thing. 
He says this, verse 4, this is 2 Peter 2, 4, For if God didn't spare the angels, these watchers, who sinned but cast them into hell and delivered them in chains of utter darkness to be kept for judgment. There's two witnesses right there, Jude and Peter, who are all referring to what Enoch says. They were bound and chained and they will be judged for their rebellion. They will be judged with how they have infected the earth. And they're not let loose. They are not let loose. In fact, if you go back into Greek mythology, you see the gods of Greek mythology interface with women and they created a race of beings called the Titans. Oh, yes. And the Titans would be similar to these Nephilim. Now, this is all really fascinating, but what does this have to do with the Bible? Because if all of the Nephilim are wiped out in the flood, according to Enoch, Enoch says, but now the giants who are born from the union of the spirits and the flesh shall be called evil spirits upon the earth, because their dwelling shall be upon the earth and inside the earth. Evil spirits have come out of their bodies, because from the day that they were created from the holy ones, they became the watchers. Their first origin is the spiritual foundation. They will become evil upon the the earth and shall be called evil spirits. The dwelling of the spiritual beings of heaven is in heaven, but the dwelling of the spirits of the earth, which are born upon the earth, is in the earth. So what Enoch is saying there is when the Nephilim were wiped out, it loosed their spirits. Their spirits are now disembodied, and their spirits roam the earth looking to become embodied. So what you're saying is that what we normally think of as demons inhabiting, say, a human person... You're saying they are the spirits of the Nephilim who have been released because the flood destroyed them physically, but spiritually they are free to roam the earth. This is Enoch's backstory to what we understand now as demonic forces. There are also fallen spiritual beings, angels, that also followed Satan. So that's kind of like the whole evil crew that's plaguing the earth right now spiritually. Boy, that's quite a kingdom. Right. Now, this is important because it says, and after the flood, there were giants as well. Well, we know that biblically because, do you remember, King Og. He was the guy who was ruling the Amorites, what we now call in the Golan Heights in Israel. When the Israelites first came up to the Promised Land, right after they were released from Egypt, they balked going in because they said, there's giants in the land. They're not speaking metaphorically. They're speaking literally because in other parts of the text, the text says the Anakim, the descendants of the Nephilim, were there. The Rephaim, descendants of the Anakim, were there. There were giants in the land. And God is sending Israel in as, in a sense, his wipeout team to destroy the last part of what is now re-emerging as these Nephilim, these giants in the land. And they do it. Forty years because they blocked it going in, God sends them out in the wilderness for a 40-year run. But at the end of that, they take on King Og. His bed was 13 feet long. And they take him out. Moses says, see, you can take the giants. Now go into the promised land and take them out. Caleb runs into the promised land with Joshua. Caleb captures Hebron. Hebron is a major city for the giants. Caleb wipes them out. Lot, his descendants, the Ammonites and the Moabites, they wipe out the giants in their area. In fact, it is funny, these descendants of Abraham, Israel and others, they all wipe out the giants in the land. 
So where were the giants left? According to the Bible, there was only a pocket of them left in Philistine territory, and you know one of these giants. Oh, yes, the big giant, the big Goliath. Exactly. And if you read Samuel, Goliath had four brothers, which is kind of a joke because it says David went to the creek and he picked up five stones. Well, if he only needed one to wipe out Goliath, why did he pick up another four? Because Goliath had four brothers. Mm. <laughs> okay, so here is a giant that these guys have now been wiped out effectively. But the question is, how far did these giants spread? Well, if you go back to many of the historical records, you see accounts of giant figures around the world today. In fact, they said that many of the Celts, according to history, the Celts that had a bloodthirsty religion, these Celts are recorded as being between seven and nine feet tall as descendants of the giants. There were Germanic tribes that the Romans fought, and they have it in Roman records, that were so big, they had these huge shields in front of them, they would come roaring out of the forest at the Roman army, and the only way the Roman army could defeat them is they figured out they'd shoot them in the feet, or they'd stab them in the feet until they fell down, and then they could mob them and wipe them out. But there is a lot of history. Steve Quayle writes about this in his book, Giants. He documents all around the world all of these giants that are recorded in history, even in the 1800s, as people were spreading across the North American continent. They were finding farmers, as they were tilling up their fields, were finding skeletons that were between seven and eight feet tall amongst a traditionally short Native American population. So, yes, there are biblical and extra-biblical and historical records of these giants. Well, the one document that I want to just be able to say to you today is the fact that my coffee cup, documented purposely, is empty. I'm empirically examining your cup, and I do believe you are correct. Why don't you fill mine up, too? Coffee time, my dreamy friend, it's coffee time. Let's sing this silly little rhyme and have a cup of coffee. Thank you for joining us today. In today's world, we need to know more about life than what we are fed through our normal channels of communication. Even in many of our churches, we are not hearing the whole truth about God and His Word. Pastors today are often afraid to address the themes in culture that might get them to be targeted by the cancel culture. Congregations are divided on the issues, and it makes a pastor's job more difficult to address those spiritual areas that might divide the church. This was one of the reasons the Truth Barista came into existence. We wanted to provide a message without any strings attached or be subjected to division in the church. We want to bring you a strong biblical message that doesn't come with limitations or restrictions on what can be said. No one wants to have information withheld from them, right? We all want to know the truth. The Truth Barista is a podcast that brings you truth based on God's Word, the Bible. We hope that you'll become a regular listener and be informed on the truth concerning the issues of our day. Join the RSS family by providing your email address on our website, and you'll be sent a link every time a new podcast comes out. Our website is highbeamministry.com. That's highbeamministry.com. 
Okay, so this has been so fascinating. You have given us so much information that it's just kind of swirling around. How about let's bring it back to the scriptures. Let's find out how it fits in, let's say, with Jesus. How does that work? Okay, very good. Where does this fit in? Okay, one of Jesus' major ministries was the ministry of exorcism or deliverance ministry. That simply means that his kingdom in his body, he was actually God's kingdom on a human body on earth, confronted the kingdom of darkness on this planet. Oftentimes, when he showed up, these people who were carrying these demons, with demons embodied in them, would recognize Jesus immediately for who he was. This is the spiritual component recognizing a spiritual component. Jesus would show up and and they would run up to him, these people, and the demons inside them would force them to fall down and they would scream out, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Are you here to judge us before our time? Interesting. Both the demons and the watchers imprisoned in Tartarus in the earth that Peter talks about are waiting for a judgment day. But for now, God allows them free reign insofar as his will allows them. Here's an important point. Remember the Gadarene demoniac? You've heard that story? Sure. We had so many demons. Right. Mm -hmm. This guy, this is on the southeast side of the Sea of Galilee. Mm -hmm. Jesus goes across with his crew and they bump into this guy and the guy is like infested with demons. I mean, crawling with demons. And Jesus says, how many are in there? And he goes, a legion. Well, a legion's a lot of Roman army That's a big number. A lot of demons. Notice what he says. Get out of the man. And before they do, they go, we don't want to. We don't want to be disembodied. Send us into the pigs. We'll take that body instead. And Jesus says, fine, go. So they leave the man. They go into the herd of pigs. But then the pigs run down and the demons become disembodied anyway. Jesus also speaks a very interesting, how can I say, an account where he says, if a demon leaves a person, the house is swept clean and the demon goes through a waterless place looking for a place to live. And he goes, you know, it's better off back where I was. I find that interesting because a human body is mostly water. So it will come back and re-inhabit a person if the Holy Spirit isn't filling them and he'll bring more demons with them. That tells me one thing. These spirits don't like being disembodied. They were born into a body, Nephilim. The body was destroyed in the flood. Now these freed up demons are looking for bodies to inhabit. Jesus, with the advance of the kingdom, is driving them out of people because he wants the kingdom of heaven to be in people. That's very interesting because I always thought that fallen angels, which are demons, want to inhabit a body due to the fact they want the evil influence to be on the inside. But you're saying, does that still happen then? Uh, Absolutely. That's all part of the package. Okay, so, but you're saying that these Nephilim, the spirit of the Nephilim are the ones that really need the body or want the body to have, to be inhabited. Yeah, they want to be clothed and they want to continue living on this earth and being disembodied is evidently very uncomfortable for them. Well, demons don't need a body, right? Because they were created as a spiritual being to begin with. They never had a physical body to inhabit. Well, they did. This is the demons. Remember, they came from the Nephilim. Right, right. But I, okay. So the demon is inside a human container, but being disembodied, it wants to get into a container again. Now, this brings up some very interesting points relative to the scriptures. Remember when I said the watchers came down to start their work 
on earth, they came down on a very specific mountain in Israel. Do you remember which mountain that was? Hermon. Okay, isn't that fascinating? Jesus takes his disciples to a place called Caesarea Philippi, which is at the base of Mount Hermon. And at that place, there was a, it was a Roman place of worship, and it was called the Gates of Hell. There's a spring that came out of that area. They would sacrifice babies in that area. Well, Jesus takes them to Caesarea Philippi. He grabs Peter, James, and John. He goes up to a high place, and he becomes transfigured before him. What does that mean? His divinity was revealed through his flesh. He shone like the sun. Moses and Elijah is with him. In fact, what's happening is Jesus is revealing to Peter, James, and John that he is the son of the living God on this mountain. And in a sense, what's happening is he is proclaiming God's kingdom on earth at the very place where the watchers came down to establish their kingdom. And there's more to it than this, because from that point on, he is saying, my kingdom is coming. That's like throwing down the gauntlet to the spiritual forces saying, okay, boys, you're going to stop me. From that point on, it says in the scripture, he turned his face to Jerusalem. And Paul says, had the spiritual forces known what was going to happen by fulfilling their desire to kill him, to stop this whole thing, was actually the forwarding of God's plan that led to their downfall. So this is really, all of this is really fascinating, but we have to have a mindset that accepts the spiritual and the natural working together and not try to sanitize what's uncomfortable or irrational to us. We were built as spiritual human composite. And so God is just as interested in saving the entirety of a person, spiritually and physically, as he is dealing with this aspect of the spiritual world influencing the physical world. Well, so we've spent two weeks, Truth Barista, on this fascinating subject of the Nephilim and the ramifications of the Nephilim on the earth. So as we get closer to the coming of the Lord and the days of Noah, as it states, the world will become like the days of Noah. How does that apply to us today? Okay, this is pure speculation. I'm just going to say this. Now, if we look at the days of Noah, what could we look at the world becoming as we get closer to what we say is Jesus's return? Well, Noah's world was racked with violence. It was just all over the place. Number two, there was interaction between the spiritual world and the physical world. Well, we're seeing that today. There's a rise in spiritual occurrences. There's a huge interest in spiritual matters. And the sad part is, is people are pursuing that in the occult, which is very dangerous. It's okay if you're pursuing it via God, not the occult. Okay? Number three, if these types of interactions were actually influencing humanity. I mean, let's face it, in a sense, you were creating, there were spiritual beings wanting to inhabit human bodies. Is that the case? Are we going to see these types of things happen today? The spiritual world, these watchers were teaching humanity bad things. Are there spiritual forces today that are teaching things to humanity that we ought not know? Certain, are there maybe technologies or ways of doing things or philosophies that are just opening the door to sin, immorality, unethical stuff, violence? Are they propelling history? Let's face it, when the Antichrist comes, according to the Bible, he will be inhabited by the one 
Satan. You know, when I think of how crazy the world is, and everybody knows it, I mean, it's not just spiritual people that say the world is undone. Mm -hmm. Everybody says the world is really getting nuts. And it seems like it's getting so nuts that uh, it's going to be like the days of Noah. And we do have some good news. And here's the good news. Jesus looked at his disciples and said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now you go and take the message of the kingdom out to the world. Not only do that, teach them to walk my ways. Isn't that interesting? Not the watcher's ways, not the occult ways. Teach them to do it my way, and I'm going to be with you. So the good news is this. We actually have Jesus as our partner who walks with us. Number two, we're under his authority. Number three, we can exercise his authority. And by the way, I do know people who are very good at deliverance ministry, casting demons out of people and breaking demonic bondages over people's lives. They don't do it in their own authority. They do it in Jesus's authority. It is fascinating that we are living in a world where there is a spiritual battle taking place. It's called spiritual warfare. And this all can be traced back to this Genesis 6 starting point. And this is why what you brought up was like, oh, the Nephilim are weird. You have no idea when you ask that question how this really does work its way through the Bible and is even active today. Truth Barista, I am just amazed. I mean, you're kind of like an investigative reporter and you give us stuff that we don't have any clue on. Well, what's fascinating, this is a topic that is growing by leaps and bounds today and I want to go back and refer you to, again, Dr. Michael Heiser. He has really done an incredible work with the Bible. He starts from the point, let the Bible say what it says. Go back to the Hebrew, let it say what it says. Don't try to sanitize it. And his book, Unseen Realm and Reversing Hermon, are stellar because he builds a very strong case of, in a sense, kind of like a spiritual hierarchy that is working in that spiritual dimension and how it influences the physical dimension and how God says the original point of Eden, where the spiritual and the physical work together, is really where God is taking us at that point. But now it's kind of like a battle between the two realms. And we've got to just say that's biblical truth. Deal with it. Truth, Barista, I'm amazed, and thank you so very much. Say, by the way, do you yes. think we've ever had Nephilim in the coffee house? I don't know. Sometimes Maurice acts a little weird. Remembering things today is getting harder and harder for all of us. So much information, so many passwords, so much technology to master. It all seems a blur at times. But one thing we hope will never be a blur, and that is how much God loves you. The Bible tells us His mercy is new every morning, brewed special for your day. Thanks for listening. This is Jay, your Truth Barista. Thanks for listening to the Truth Barista podcast. The best way to find out when a new podcast drops is through RSS feed. Go to our website, look for the RSS button, press it, and then enter your email. You'll be notified when a new podcast drops. Thanks for listening.